Brad Trads on Wednesday, July 17th, 9 p.m. at the Doug Fur Lounge in Portland. The Brooklyn-based five-piece Rad Trads play nostalgic rock with soul and a horn section. They're touring around their On Tap record. Again, that's the Rad Trads on Wednesday, July 17th, 9 p.m. at the Doug Fur Lounge. 830 East Burnside Street in Portland. This is a 21 and over event. More information can be found at kboo.fm on the right side of the homepage under Community Events. Good morning. This is KBOO Portland. It's 8 o'clock. Coming up next, Sojourner Truth looks at fraud in the Pentagon and discusses the differences between liberation theology and right-wing fundamentalism. At 9 o'clock, the beloved community host John Chuck talks to Ned Roche of Jewish Voice for Peace about his contribution to the new book, Reclaiming Judaism from Zionism, Stories of Personal Transformation. And also he talks to Mustafa Alquan, founder and executive director of Shia Rights Watch. Now stay tuned for Sojourner Truth Radio. Welcome to Sojourner True. Thank you for staying with us. This is your host, Margaret Prescott. Accounting fraud in the Pentagon. Do we really know what the budget of the Pentagon is? Why is at least $21 trillion, yes, that's trillion dollars, of Pentagon financial transactions between 1998 and 2015 can't be traced? We speak with investigative journalist Dave Lindorf, who has exposed this financial fraud. And for our weekly Earth Watch, a major struggle is underway against the Utah Inland Port Authority. What impact will this project have on our planet already at a tipping point in terms of pollution and other environmental devastation. We speak with Melanie Martin, an environmental justice activist who specializes in movement media and is based in Utah. (laughs) Also, is there a crisis in the meaning of Christianity in today's churches? With 80% of Christian evangelicals voting for Donald Trump in 2016, despite his views on immigrants, race, and women, what's going on? Why is his loyal evangelical base claiming he has been touched by the hand of God? What role is the extreme right playing in Christianity? How is the liberal church, those who try to adhere to the teachings of Christ, to be concerned with the least of these responding to this? 
the reality of the differences between a liberation theology approach and right-wing religious fundamentalism. Our guests are the Reverend Janet McKeithen, minister of the church in Ocean Park in Santa Monica, California, and Father Michael Sniffen, dean of the Cathedral of Long Island for the Episcopal Church. We live in a global world. We're all interrelated. So on Sojourner Truth, we work to bring directly to you news and views on local, national, and international policies and stories that affect us all. And we draw out how those of us most impacted women, communities of color, and other communities are responding. We also discuss the interrelationship between art and politics. Now for our news headlines. For Pacifica Radio, I'm Eileen Alfandiri. The New York Times reports the Trump administration plans to carry out nationwide raids beginning Sunday and lasting several days with plans to arrest thousands of undocumented immigrants. The raids reportedly will target at least 2,000 immigrants who've already been ordered to leave the country, but immigration agents will detain other undocumented immigrants they discover as a result of the raids. Officials said when possible, family members who are arrested together will be held in family detention centers. San Francisco, Los Angeles, Atlanta, Baltimore, Chicago, Denver, Houston, Miami, New Orleans, and New York are believed to be the cities targeted. A Guatemalan mother seeking asylum told a House committee she came to the U.S. seeking safety, but instead watched her infant daughter die slowly and painfully after the baby received shoddy medical care while they were in immigration custody. The emotional hearing came amid renewed outrage over the treatment of children at the border. Reports of sexual abuse, unhygienic and crowded conditions, and insufficient food and water. Sean Flannelly reports. Yasmin Juarez's daughter is one of at least six children who have reportedly died due to poor conditions at detention centers. Juarez says her infant daughter was healthy when they arrived at the border, but after being detained in a room with 12 other people, including six children, she became ill. She says her daughter did not receive adequate medical care for a respiratory infection. Ideas en los que solo quiero rendirme porque para mí ha sido muy muy doloroso I'm here today because I want to put an end to this it is very hard to see so many children and for none of them to be my daughter and to think that I will never see her again or hug her or enjoy being with her or tell her just how much I love her it's like they tore out a piece of my heart like they tore out my soul I'm suffering every day. It is difficult to get up and move forward without her. Former acting director of ICE, Ronald Vitello, also testified later in the hearing. He says immigration officials and officers should not be criticized for enforcing the law. Sean Flannelly reporting for KPFA. President Trump is expected to issue an executive order today putting a citizenship question on the 2020 census. Trump said he'll hold an afternoon press conference to talk about the census. Late last month, the U.S. Supreme Court temporarily barred the question. The government has already begun the process of printing the census survey without the question. An executive order would not by itself override court rulings blocking the question, but such a move could give administration lawyers a new basis to try to convince federal courts the question should be included. The legal team at the Justice Department that was defending the administration on the issue asked to be replaced. But this week, two federal judges rejected the Justice Department's plan to switch lawyers, saying it cannot replace the team so late in the dispute without satisfactorily explaining why it's doing so.
New Orleans Mayor LaToya Cantrell has declared an emergency after some parts of the city got more than eight inches of rain in three hours, causing flash flooding that swamped city streets. That could be just a preview. A tropical storm on its way could develop into a hurricane and dump another foot or more of rain. The mayor warned city residents to make sure they have enough supplies to ride out the storm. Be prepared for the impacts. We know that we took on a lot of water this morning, up to eight inches within three, within three hours in some areas. With more rain in store for the city of New Orleans. Other parts of South Louisiana and coastal Mississippi are under a flood watch, as is part of Texas. Global warming has caused average sea levels to rise, leading to more frequent and severe flooding in the Gulf. Organizations representing more than 7,000 universities and colleges around the world have signed a letter declaring a climate emergency and committing to action. The UN Environment Agency announced the initiative at a meeting promoting higher education. Organizers say they hope 10,000 institutions will sign the letter by the end of the year. The letter noted young people are increasingly at the forefront of calls for action on climate and environmental challenges. The letter commits the institutions to support a three-point plan that includes mobilizing resources for climate change research, increasing education on preserving the environment, and going carbon neutral by 2030 or 2050 at the latest. I'm Eileen Alfandera. You're listening to Sojourner Truth on Pacifica Radio. And this is Margaret Prescott, host of Sojourner Truth. Now, in 2018, Donald Trump's administration claimed it had allocated $639 billion towards defense, spending more on the military than the next seven countries combined. However, we have learned it remains a mystery where that huge amount of money actually goes and indeed if that amount is correct because according to investigative journalist Dave Lindorf, the numbers just don't seem to add up. He has exposed a massive accounting fraud in the Pentagon and he's going to join us to discuss his findings. Meanwhile, According to the Poor People's Campaign, a national call for moral revival, their 2019 moral budget, the United States could save as much as $350 billion per year by cutting current Pentagon spending on fighting endless wars, maintaining a worldwide network of 800 military bases, stoking dangerous arms races, and subsidizing for-profit corporate contractors. Indeed, let us go to hear the words of the Reverend William Barber on um, defense spending and war. And this is from a speech he gave in Los Angeles. Let's go to that clip now. The budgets of this nation are busted because of all the wars we should have never known. And the amount of money that's spent on war, we could provide everybody health care and every child a four-year ride to college without any payment. We could transform our railroads, our ports, our levees, our bridges, our electric systems, our public transit. With the money that we spent in unnecessary war, we could have had advances in energy systems and biotechnology. We could supercharge entrepreneurship and reduce carbon emissions. 
We can have 21st century jobs. We can provide universal access to early childhood education. But we're going to have to decide in this nation whether we are going to have a bully attitude or the attitude of a builder. And the Reverend Dr. William Barber on money for war, uh, not for the poor. I would now like to welcome our guest, Dave Lindorf, founder of the independent collectively run journalist news site, thiscan'tbehappening.net. He wrote exclusive, the Pentagon's massive accounting scandal exposed. It was a Nation magazine cover story. And earlier this year, Dave Lindorf won the Izzy Award for Outstanding Independent Journalism from the Park Center for Independent Media for, quote, uncovering the opaqueness of Pentagon accounts and bloated military budgets. Dave Lindorf, welcome. Hi, thanks for having me on. So, Dave Lindorf, I'll have to say it's really quite alarming what you have exposed here. Just give us a summary of what your investigation sound, uh, found. I mean, it's a huge amount of money. You're talking about $21 trillion? Well, let's, let's first talk about that number because it is pretty staggering. The, the $21 trillion was um, a number that was dug up by a professor, Mark Skidmore, at the um, University of um, Michigan. I guess it's the University of okay. Southern Michigan. Uh, yeah, US, University of Southern Michigan. And he is a accounting uh, specialist in public accounting, you know, like uh, state government accounting, local government accounting, and national government accounting. And what he did was he he had heard these enormous numbers of trillions of dollars in the alternative media that would come out every once in a while and be ignored by the mainstream press uh, in Pentagon budgets. Um, and so he lo- decided to look into it, and he and two of his grad students poured over uh, public records online of the Pentagon's um, Office of Inspector General. And what they do at the Office of Inspector General, you know, they have limited resources and they periodically would examine uh, or, or try to audit uh, one branch of the military or one, you know, part of the military. <clears throat> so they had done the Marines, they'd done the Navy and stuff like that. Uh, but they they always would be stymied by these enormous numbers that were uh, that showed up in the budget that they would audit and end up they would you know chastise the Pentagon accountants for these numbers, but nothing would ever be done about it. And so they never really were auditing any of them successfully when they would do this. And the numbers would be um, really uh, mind-boggling. Sometimes they'd be um, in trillions of dollars. Uh, on just, say, the Army budget, which was only, at the time, maybe $150 billion. So how can you have trillion-dollar entries for, you know, on the asset side or the liability side? Um, but Mark tallied these up, Mark and his uh, his grad students. Now, if you think about that, they're just tallying up the these numbers in single branches of the military for the years that they were done, um, not for the entire Pentagon. So the total number of these fake numbers 
uh, could well be over $100 trillion over the 20-year period. The numbers themselves are actually referred to in Pentagon jargon as plugs, because that's what they do. They plug these numbers in uh, on both sides of the balance sheet. And it's done by an army of accountants in Indiana at the uh, Defense Finance Accounting Service, um, which looks at all the Pentagon books. Um, and when I, my sources in my article, who were named sources, um, you know, like particularly the most potent one was Jack Armstrong, who was uh, heading up uh, supervising audits at the um, Office of Inspector General for years until he retired in 2011. And he told me, look, he, he said, the numbers, what the Pentagon should do is go to Congress each year and tell them that the financial statements that they submit for the prior year's spending are garbage. And they should just say, complete garbage was the term he used. He said they should just, to be honest, tell Congress and, the, you know, the Armed Services Committee and Budget Committee, these numbers are complete garbage, because that's what they are. And, and you know, then Congress would have to deal with that. But they don't do that. They, uh, they blow right past them. Congress sort of ignores it. I, the only person who's ever complained about it is uh, Senator Grassley of Iowa, oddly enough, uh, Republican of Iowa. Nobody else cares, you know. Um, we had uh, why? Why is that know. though? I mean, why don't they care? I mean, why is it not important <clears throat> for them to get actual numbers of what the the budget actually is? Well, get this. I mean, I'm not quite numbers. sure I can answer that, but uh -huh. I will tell you what, what I do know is uh, Donald Rumsfeld is the last person to actually raise this as an issue publicly, and it was on a press conference held on the on September 10th, 2001. You know, that's a date people should, you know, raise their eyebrow over because that was the day before 9-11. And he held a press conference. It was well attended by the media. Uh, and he announced at it that uh, his office had found $2.3 trillion in unsupported, uh, untraceable financial transactions in that year's, uh, prior year's budget and they couldn't figure out what they were. And in that press conference, he said some pretty amazing things for a, for a Secretary of Defense. He said, the, the enemy is not China or Russia. It's the Pentagon bureaucracy. And he said uh, that these uh, m missing f financial transactions that we can't trace are a threat to national security and to the lives of our service people. So he took it very seriously, and that story was played up big on television and radio news that night, uh, and it was on uh, a lot of newspapers, page one uh, editions on people's doorstoops in the morning uh, on 9-11, but the story completely disappeared after that because of 9-11 and yeah. you know the focus shifted entirely and nobody came back to that story you know months later or years later it was completely it completely vanished into the vapor and Rumsfeld never brought it up again nobody brought it up and I I think I suspect that uh, what's going on is that uh, Rumsfeld thought it was astonishing um, he was a micromanager, so it probably bothered him just on that level. And uh, and since then, um, 
you know, it, the Pentagon has been just about churning out more money to the defense industry and uh, scaring the crap out of Americans about terrorism and fighting all these endless wars that, you know, help to justify all the military spending and that these uh, fake numbers turn out to be realized by the Pentagon as a fantastic way to prevent anybody from really examining what they're doing. Yeah, well, so, let me ask you this. I mean, is it the, you know, fabricated numbers, um, does that hide the fact that what is happening is that the Department of Defense doesn't always spend all of the money that Congress allocates in a given year? And therefore, that means they don't have to return this unspent money to the U.S. Treasury, which is what is supposed to happen. Is that part of well, what's this going is what on? I, this is what I concluded from talking with my sources, who are, by the way, almost all named sources. Okay. Uh, that the, that uh, it's not secret money. It's you know there's a lot, there was a lot of talk on the uh, in the alternative media right and left uh, when these numbers would come out, uh, and particularly when when um, the when Mark's numbers came out the 21 trillion uh, that oh this is all secret money that is being spent you know made up money maybe like the money that was made up to loan to all the big banks in the fiscal crisis. Uh, to fund the Pentagon, but that's obviously not the case. Uh, I think uh, I dis- Mark and I disagree on this. Uh, I argue that if that kind of money, you know, trillions of dollars a year, were being manufactured and poured into Pentagon spending, we wouldn't have even had a recession during the fiscal crisis because it would have been the uh, the priming the pump money that Obama was unable to get from Congress. Uh, when the fiscal crisis hit, so I, I don't believe it is real money, and um, and really it's twenty one trillion dollars or a hundred trillion dollars if you want, uh, you know, if it's you know in all the different branches, the same way uh, of liabilities and assets that tend to balance each other out. But what it does do is it makes it impossible to read the Pentagon books, and we saw that demonstrated. Uh, November 15th last year when uh, the auditors who had spent a year uh, and, uh, you know, a vast amount of money um, uh, auditing the Pentagon for the first time, uh, they just threw up their hands and said they couldn't do it. And, yeah, you uh, know, that that's a key, a really important point there about not being able to read the Pentagon books. But it also seems to me, which is part of your conclusion, that... Um, returning this business about not returning unspent funds to U.S. Treasury is also critical. I mean, in the clip we just played of uh, Reverend William Barber uh, from the Poor People's Campaign, a national call for moral revival, and in the moral budget the Poor People's Campaign put out just last month um, outlining um, what money that's being spent on uh, defense and the military, what it could do um, here to help to alleviate poverty. So then it's really, in a way, stealing money from the U.S. Treasury, is it not, that could be used for other things? Yeah, that's right. I mean, uh, I ended my piece with a quote from Dwight Eisenhower, who, uh, you know, was famous for his uh, goodbye letter uh, where he talked about the military-industrial complex. He's less famous for the speech he gave right after he took office, where he said every gun that is made, every warship launched every rocket fired signifies in the final uh, sense a shift from those 
who hunger and are not fed, those who are cold and are not clothed. So, you know, he was, it, and, and he, he said more about that, too. It was quite a, uh, a you know, profound and impassioned speech for ending all of this massive spending. But, then, of course, then he went on and, you know, had eight years of massive spending in the Cold War. But, uh, you know, he got sucked in and then warned against it as he was leaving. Thank you for kindly. Yeah. Um, and you know, and to, but, qu- to quote you, to quote, quote the article, uh, you're saying, quote, the Pentagon's accounting uh-huh. fraud diverts many billions of dollars that could be devoted to other national needs, health care, education, job creation, climate action, infrastructure modernization, and much more. Indeed, the Pentagon's accounting fraud amounts to theft on a grand scale, theft not only from America's taxpayers, but also from the nation's well-being and its future. I mean, very well said, because it seems to me as though that is some of the most damning um, result uh, from this, quote-unquote, accounting procedures, which, to me, really sounds like theft, right, from one yeah, end to well, the other. It also, it also is, there's a built, the, the, the lying and fraud in the numbers uh, is a, uh, it's like a built-in, uh, Pentagon budget uh, escalator, because what happens is the Pentagon comes in with a financial statement describing uh, incomprehensibly what it did with the money that was allocated to it in the prior year, and comes in with a budget request to Congress, like now it's $730 billion, right, uh, yeah. for this coming year, for 2020. Uh, the Senate had a 760, I think, billion dollar request, and the House had a 730 billion dollar request because it's all bipartisan. You know, they all, they, they, all the parties, both the parties support massive Pentagon spending. Yeah. But the House a little bit less. Um, so the the current debate is over the 730 billion figure in the House, uh, and then they'll have to you know, wrangle it out in a uh, conference between Senate and House, and and Trump is saying he wants the $760 billion. Um, it's just a number. You know, there's no justification for any of this. And um, what happens is that Congress looks at the want number for the next year. They can't tell what was actually spent of the prior amount, and probably not all of it was spent, uh, is what I was told. And and when it's not spent on something like the F-35 or the or the wars, you know, they get all this contingency money for wars um, and so on. If it's not spent, then um, it's supposed to be. If it's if it's most of it uh, one year money, say the contingency spending for war, for example, is one year money. The, under the Constitution, that money has to be returned to the Treasury if it wasn't spent where it would result in lower taxes for the next year and so on. So what the Pentagon does is they never return the money. They um, shift it around from, uh, and this is illegal, they shift it from one-year money to five-year money, um, which is things like uh, weapons contracts and things like that, uh, which defers the need to deal with it. And that shifting can go on and on and on. And meanwhile, Congress thinks, okay, so they spent all that money, um, and now they need this more money. So 
we'll give them more money. And so it, it goes up and up and up. Yeah, and, and with... You uh, can't actually yeah. rationally decide how much the Pentagon needs if you don't rationally know what they spent the year before, and they don't, and they haven't known for over 20 years, probably right. over 30 years. Yeah, well, listen, Dave, I'm so sorry. I'm afraid we are going to have to leave it there because, to me, this seems like just a, a massive theft scheme, <laughs> uh, money that should be going for social services and other things, or could be. Uh, instead, the Pentagon holding on to it by some questionable you know, accounting uh, procedures, well, as I you would, say, I are legal. I would urge people uh-huh. to go to thenation.com. Uh, and they can look up under Lindorf and find the Exposing the Pentagon's Massive Accounting Fraud article and just read it. It's only four pages long yeah. Uh, yeah. in the magazine, but you'll learn a lot uh, more than we were able to talk about here. Yeah, so absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you so much for your work, Dave Lindorf. Bye-bye. All righty. And this is Margaret Prescott, host of Sojourner Truth. We are now going to go to our weekly Earth Watch and find out what the heck is going on in the state of Utah with the Utah Inland Port Authority. Well, that sounds innocent enough. It would be uh, a place, uh, the stated goal of maximizing Utah's place in the global import and export economy with a network of trucks, trains, and air connections. So we're going to find out what's wrong with that with our next guest, uh, Melanie Martin, an environmental justice activist um, who is based in Utah and who's been speaking out against this proposed inland Port. Uh, Melanie Martin, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. So what's wrong with this project? I mean, I could see people saying, well, look, this is going to bring jobs, um, commerce, uh, et cetera, to the area. So what's wrong with it? Well, in the Salt Lake Valley, our air quality already hasn't met federal standards for a long time. Um, Our valley is shaped like a bowl, and it holds in the pollution for um, all the industry that already exists here. Uh, We have a handful of refineries um, that are already spewing out toxic air. Um, And the the port would bring tens of thousands of trucks, uh, not to mention trains, um, and through Salt Lake City's west side, which would escalate air pollution. And and that would predominantly affect um, the west side communities, which are, have a high proportion of uh, poor people uh, and people of color uh, who are already exposed to the worst of the worst when it comes to you know, our, Mel- our air pollution. Melanie, so why am I not surprised when you said the West Side are predominantly people of color and low-income people? Because, mm-hmm. you know, when you think of things like this, I mean, everybody's heard of Beverly Hills, right? They know there's great wealth in Beverly Hills. I doubt very much that there would be a proposed project like this mm-hmm. in the heart of Beverly Hills or in areas where wealthy people live. Um, So thank you for thank you for bringing that out. Uh, So what are some of the um, environmental impacts specifically on the environment and on people of this, you think? Sure. Um, Well, the the port would also be devastating to the Great Salt Lake ecosystem, which also borders the port. So, yeah, there are a couple of major negative impacts there. Uh, The ecosystem Uh, bordering the port is the last habitat for about 10 million migratory birds Mm. um, who might have no place to rest on their journey north. And so we're also concerned about climate change and the massive species collapse that's already happening. Uh, We believe the port would just play a role in exacerbating that. And 
we're calling on our leaders to um, work on ways of uh, mitigating climate change and cleaning up our air so that our communities can can breathe healthy air. Um, because children in Salt Lake Valley already are have high rates of asthma and other um, conditions that are that are caused by the horrible air pollution. Yeah, like already already in Salt Lake at certain times of the year, you can't see across the street uh, fairly often because you're just trying to look through this toxic brew of air. Yeah, when people think of Utah, you know, they never think uh, think of that. But uh, on Tuesday, July 9th, there were protests about this. What happened? Well, um, people peacefully assembled and um, made their way to the building that houses the Chamber of Commerce in downtown Salt Lake City. Uh, the plan was to hold a rally and uh, make our voices heard um, and yeah, bring a mass number of, of people there to show that the people of Salt Lake City will not stand for a polluting port in our town. Um, so a group of people went to the office of the Chamber of Commerce and uh, locked their bodies together to uh, hold that space. So there was, there was civil a, disobedience then. Mm-hmm. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And there was a much larger group of people that um, ended up in the lobby downstairs holding basically your your typical rally um, with dancing puppets and uh, speakers talking about the impacts of the port um, and singing, chanting. It was all very peaceful until the police suddenly came in um, mm. without giving an order to disperse and began um, grabbing people, pushing people, um, just escalating the situation to a place that it had never needed to go. Uh, but prior to that, it had been, um, yeah, just a, a mass yeah. number of people voicing their opinion about the port. Right. Well, we've certainly seen that um, before on, on the part of the police. And from uh, reports we have read, apparently eight people were arrested, three of whom were uh, cited and release um, five taken to jail for charges raging between assault against a police officer, trespassing, riot, and resisting arrest. This 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 was a report um, in the uh, Deseret uh, News. They also said protesters were chanting, uh, "Pollution is not the solution." Right. So yeah. just uh, finally here. I mean, earlier uh, in our show this week, uh, we spoke with uh, Dallas. Uh, Goldtooth of the Indigenous Environmental Network of the increasing criminalization of pipeline protesters. This isn't a pipeline protester uh, protest uh, per se, but it is one uh, like the pipeline protest that's about protecting Mother Earth and protecting the environment. And it just seems to me that with this, when you have a peaceful protest and then the police come in and turn it into something else by their own actions, it really, in a way, sets up, you know, this public image of protesters as being the problem as opposed to what people are protesting against. You know what I mean? Uh, Give us some final thoughts on that. And also for people who are concerned about this, um, who are listening to the show, who are concerned about this, uh, some of what they can do. Mm-hmm. Melanie. Yeah, um, I think, yeah, I think you are spot on with that. Um, and setting that tone, um, you, you know, the police, the police's setting of that tone um, 
also led into our governor calling the protest borderline terrorism, which is completely irresponsible and dangerous because our governor has now emboldened hate groups to further target the most marginalized members of our community who were simply trying to make their voices heard in this peaceful rally. So we call on our government to recant that statement and apologize for it um, and to acknowledge how entirely irresponsible that is. And is there a way that people could uh, contact um, the um, the groups you are working with or who are uh, standing against this? Is there a website or a Facebook page, perhaps? Yeah, there have been uh, several groups involved. Um, one group is called uh, Civil Riot. Mm-hmm. Um, they've attempted to be involved in um, the decision-making process, attending meetings and things like that. Um, right. And yeah, and we have, um, or people have felt um, that we simply had no say in that in that process, and that uh, civil disobedience was needed at this point. Um, yeah, and I mean, look, the the in in the the 2018 in the Poor People's Campaign, um, National Call for Moral Revival, there were 5,000 people across the nation who put themselves forward um, for arrest, you know, doing civil disobedience, et cetera, all for a good cause. So mm-hmm. I, for one, never think people have to be defensive, you know, about uh, doing civil disobedience for a, a very good cause, which clearly yours is. So Melanie Martin, we're going to have to leave it there, but um, good luck to you and the other protesters out there. And also we want to thank the Global Justice Ecology Project, our partners, for our weekly Earth Watch and Earth Minute. Melanie, thank you. Thank you so much. Okay, we're going to take a short station break. And coming up, um, what is happening in the Christian church? You have a base of white evangelicals, loyal supporters of Donald Trump, claiming that Donald Trump has been touched by the hand of God. And then there are other people in uh, the Christian church, like Reverend Barber and other people who have a different interpretation of Christianity and what it actually means. So stay with us. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Gloria Steinem. This is Joni Mitchell. This is Brother Cornell West, and you are listening to Sojourner Truth with host, my dear sister, Margaret Prescott. Cinnamon, where you gonna run to? Where you gonna run to? All on that day, will I run to the rock? Please hide me and run to the rock. The great uh, Nina Simone and Sinnerman. This is Margaret Prescott, host of Sojourner Truth. Check us out on our website at www.sotrueradio for our community calendar, videos, and more. And if you're a member of Facebook, you can like and friend us on Facebook. Our handle on Instagram and um, 
Twitter at So True Radio. And we're also worldwide on SoundCloud. And today we would like to give a shout out uh, to our SoundCloud listeners uh, in the United States in Waukegan, Illinois. Waukegan, Illinois. And internationally, we would like to give a shout out to our SoundCloud listeners in Spain. And uh, now we turn to uh, something topic that is really very, very disturbing to many. Uh, there are many of our listeners, many across the nation and across the world who identify as being Christian, uh, but uh, there are various interpretations of what that means. Uh, there are some people um, who are very, very strong supporters of Donald Trump, for example, and who have no problem uh, being very, very loyal to him, despite his um, comments and actions in relation to women and, and race and, and immigrants and much more. Uh, but just recently, uh, Ralph Reed, the Faith and Freedom Coalition founder, uh, said to that group, quote, there has never been anyone who has defended us and who has fought for us who we have loved more than Donald J. Trump. No one, all right? And when we look at the fact that 80% of white, of evangelicals voted for uh, Donald Trump, and now among um, white evangelicals, uh, 70% who attend church at least once a week approve of Donald Trump. 65% of those who attend uh, religious services uh, left less often, but that is significant. So we know that throughout history, uh, there have been various pulls and pulls on the church in terms of what Christianity meant, what the following of Christ meant during the days of slavery. Um, Christianity uh, was used by some to justify slavery, also the conquest of indigenous people uh, in, the, in the name of the cross, in the name of Christ, were uh, massacring uh, indigenous people. But they have also been the wing of Christianity um, that says what uh, the church really stands for and what Christ uh, stood for was with the poor and by people who were oppressed. So um, we're going to be discussing some of this, but first let us hear a clip from the Reverend um, Bishop William Barber speaking in Los Angeles talking about a shift that happened uh, within the church. All this religious hypocrisy, a lot of it began right here. In fact, right here in L.A. 1935, there was a preacher in this city named James Fifield. He passed the church. He was the co-founder of Mobilization for Spiritual Ideas. 1935, he became the president. And he used phrases like freedom under God and liberty. And his message was a counter-message to the social gospel movement. Now, the reason he was so big was he went one day to the Waldorf Astoria, and he spoke to J. Howard Pugh and former President Hoover, the Association of the National Association of Manufacturers, and some of the biggest corporate heads in this country. You understand this, you'll understand why you're seeing what you're seeing in the White House now. He um, 
spoke to them and said he knew how to debone the gospel. He knew how to preach it without talking about the justice things. And if they would fund him, give him some money, he'd go out and do it. And they actually did. Very, very interesting uh, background there. I'd like to welcome uh, two guests on this, uh, the Reverend Janet uh, McKithen, Minister of the Church in Ocean Park in Santa Monica, California. She is a United Methodist minister. Her church is a diverse interfaith congregation dedicated to social justice. She is also co-founder of the Committee for Racial Justice and president of the Santa Monica Area Interfaith Council. Uh, Reverend Janet McKibben, welcome. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. I'd also like to welcome Father Michael Sniffen, who is the Dean of the Cathedral of Long Island for the Episcopal Church. Uh, Father Sniffen, welcome. Very glad to be with you, Margaret. Okay, it's 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 been a while. And for full disclosure, uh, Father Sniffen was the um, um, reverend at the church my mother, the late Elsa Prescott, mm -hmm. attended, which is where I, I met him, very, very kind uh, to my mom there in her final days. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, Reverend Janet, that's okay um, to call you Reverend Janet, uh, yes. just starting with you, um, your uh, thoughts on this because it is very worrying that you have in the name of Christ um, representations of things that you can't imagine if one reads the gospel that Christ stood for. What is happening with the moves of this kind of right-wing interpretation of Christianity uh, from where you sit? Um, thank you for the questions. Um, First of all, I just want to say no one is appointed by God to be president of the United States of America, particularly anyone who claims to be. Um, irregardless of the Christian point of view, first of all, what would that say about our elections? But what would that say about God? Um, I believe in a God who um, allows us to make our own decisions. We might as well give up if God is controlling the universe in such a way to make someone president of the United States. But there is, um, there's been an, uh, a very well-organized and well-funded um, movement uh, to take down all of the social justice uh, parts of the Christian denominations, Any, and, and it's uh, been infiltrating uh, many of the different denominations for a very long time. And um, they, are, they believe that they are... Um, the Orthodox religion, the best religion, and um, as Christians, I believe that we have a particular responsibility as progressive Christians uh, to stop this because in, in people in our name are doing particularly evil acts, and they're using Christianity as the reason for doing it. And so they're manipulating people, some good people who want to do the right thing, they're manipulating them into believing that they are doing the right thing. And um, this is egregious. Yeah, and uh, Father uh, Michael, just your thoughts on this. I was just uh, reading an, an article um, in which Carl uh, Alcopac was, was quoted, and he mentioned an example of St. Ambrose, the Bishop of Milan, who was ready to um, call out a Roman Empire for 
uh, the empire, emperor's role in massacring uh, civilians as punishment for the murder of one of his generals. And he it was a, a political risk, but he did it. He stood up and he called him out, right? Um, so we know Father Michael within the church has always been this kind of push and pull in terms of what being a true Christian means. So your your thoughts on this? Yes, absolutely. And, you know, what you're saying about the early church and people we know as martyrs and fathers and mothers of the church, often the reason they were persecuted was for what they were saying against the empire, and that their faith commitments and their following of Jesus to serve the least and the lost and the marginalized was seen as a threat to imperial rule. Um, And I think in our context in America, uh, we have to come to terms with the fact that this fundamentalism and then Uh, neo-evangelicalism has been a a thread of Christianity in this country from the beginning and a reaction against theological liberalism. I think it's very dangerous, and I think these groups, particularly that think uh, President Trump is anointed in some way, um, are undermining the true traditional meaning of Christianity and are hijacking uh, the name of Christian. Right. And um, Reverend Janet, back to you. I mean, during the the days of slavery, I mean, some people are making the case now that the Christianity of the slave days, the, the, the part of Christianity in the slave days that was used to justify slavery, that that never really went away. There was that on the one hand, and then on the other hand, there was the interpretation uh, by the abolitionists, but also by people who themselves were enslaved. And you could just go back and listen to the so-named Negro spirituals and, and those songs, um, you know, um, that really helped people uh, get through such horrific times. So this idea that there's still uh, left over in this country, you know, this kind of interpretation of Christianity that, well, you could, you know, have a little slavery or have a little oppression and that that's of other people and that's actually useful. But w- what also are some of the ways that you have seen uh, this seeping into uh, the church, the Methodist church, uh, for an example, and the impact perhaps on vulnerable young people. Reverend yeah, Janet. well, I, um, it, I, I, unfortunately, many Christians have um, just gone, not only gone along with systemic oppression, be it racism or homophobia or whatever kind of racism, that, which uh, there are many kinds which are all interconnected, but um, not only have Christians gone along with those systems, but they've supported them and um, and actually helped fund them and make them happen. And so, I and some some Christians are not aware of what's what they're doing, um, but throughout the ages and and especially now, it, um, people are getting more and more bold in their in their support of. Uh, white privilege and systemic racism in particular and um, don't realize that what the gospel is really about is about um, disrupting those systems so that all people could be free and I've seen it in all kinds of ways our committee for racial justice for example um, we are are fighting racism and uh, we've been visited by the neo-nazis that later went to Charleston Mm. Um, and it was supported by those people believe that they're good people, and many of them believe that they are Christian. 
So I've seen that firsthand in in Santa Monica. Um, in the United Methodist Church, there uh, there's a group called the IRD, the the uh, Institute on Religious Religion and Democracy, which is a not a good name for them, but um, they they're they've been infiltrating many of the Protestant denominations and trying to uh, do away with the social gospel and any of the uh, groups that are dealing with justice in those churches and those denominations. For example, our church and society and our um, committee on religion and race. And so they they have been infiltrating those for quite a while, and they're well-funded. And currently there is a split in the United Methodist Church over... um, It looks like it's over the issue of homosexuality, but what it's really over is interpretation of scripture and how we will live in the world. And it's about the same issue as what's going on in the nation right now. Um, The same people who are supporting Donald Trump are in the United Methodist Church trying to um, make the United Methodist Church more conservative and uh, more oppressive. And so there's a huge split happening, and I'm not sure how that's going to come out because right now it's in a chaotic state. But but those those factions are have been yeah in the works from the beginning of the church and from the beginning of probably time immemorial, uh, and they're just getting stronger and stronger. Yes, and and Father Michael, I mean what Reverend uh, Janet is is saying. Uh, goes back to the the point too of of these kind of tensions in a way have always existed uh, within the church. I mean, growing up in Barbados, I grew up in the Anglican Church in the U.S. The Episcopal Church is, I suppose, what the you know uh, equal mm-hmm. or somewhat with the Anglican Church, but the Anglican Church um, in my island in Barbados played a critical role. Uh, in slavery and in keeping that going and even within the Episcopal Church uh, in the United States there was that discussion you know that went on because some people in the Episcopal Church were slave owners themselves and many of the one percent for some reason uh, tend to flock to the Episcopal Church and um, I'm wondering what what kind of challenge that uh, makes for um, people within the church that are really trying to uplift the poor and do some of the work mm-hmm. that you were doing. I mean, at the time I knew you, you were at the Church of St. Luke in, um, in, in Brooklyn. Yeah. yeah. And and really, you know, doing a lot of work for the least of these in, in that area, uh, Father Michael. Yes. I, I mean, I think uh, Reverend Janet says it well, that really under underneath all of this is uh, very basic stuff about the interpretation of Scripture. And I think um, literal literal interpretations of Scripture or interpretations of Scripture that allow for the exclusion or harm of anyone, um, we need to say are illegitimate. Uh, Karen Armstrong says that that very well um, in her book, 12 Steps to a Compassionate Life, that uh, we must agree as um, progressive adherence to religions, all world religions, that any interpretation of scripture that allows for the exclusion or oppression of anyone is illegitimate, and that our traditions all teach that. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's very dangerous to read scripture literally, because it was never intended to be read that way. 
um, and it, it, it narrows the possible meanings of Christianity, and it really goes against the primary teachings of Jesus, which were always reaching out to the least, the lost, the marginalized, and spending nearly all of his time uh, with people um, who were excluded from, from the primary societies of their day. Right, and, and Reverend Janet, you, you talk about, I remember in the days of the, the civil rights era, and some of it is, is still around today, of people talking about building a beloved community. I'm active with the Poor People's Campaign, actually, and there is quite a, a lot of talk about that. And then you have other um, other uh, people talking about, um, uh, finding this quote here, a commitment to grace, beauty, and creativity, not antipathy, disdain, and pulsating anger. Uh, so I, I just wondered, as we're moving forward from here, we, we really needed more time for this discussion, um, but I wondered your thoughts on this and if you had any uh, final um, final words on all of this. First, uh, you, uh, Reverend Janet, and then you, some final thoughts, Father Michael. Um, thank you. I just, I am very uh, um, sad, saddened and angered that people use religion as a political tool to manipulate people instead of using it as a force for good within them and within the world. People that use religion as a tool for their own ends, which these people are doing, rather than expression of the transcendent presence and love, are not only misusing it, but they're worshiping something other than the God of love. Religion has the power to heal and also the power to hurt. And so often, uh, religion and, and re religious people, or so-called religious people, focus on the hurt, and they're hurting more than they're healing. But both, all religions continue to do both. They hurt and they heal, but we need to stop the heal, hurt and replace it with healing. Religion should be a healer. It should empower people to stand up and fight for justice. That's what religion and faith and spirituality at its best does. It supports and heals people and empowers them to be the best they can be so that they can join with others and help God's work in creating a more just and beloved world. Right, and of course people can um, see and hear the Reverend Janet McEthan at the Church in Ocean Park. I'm sure there's a, a website that people can go to to uh, find out more about the work as well as the Committee for Racial Justice. And yeah, final, final thoughts from you, uh, Father Michael. My encouragement to all of us is to remember that the social gospel is the gospel. It's not some boutique understanding or some <laughs> fringe element that understands Christianity as, as some sort of progressive movement. Um, the movement of Jesus, who we understand in Christianity as the, as the universal Christ, came to liberate all from oppression, and that is the driving force of everything we do. Uh, you know, the prophet Micah said, do justice, love kindness, walk humbly with God. If those are not the priorities of living out the tradition, then we have to reassess how close we are to the tradition. And that's the challenge I would offer to those um, neo-evangelicals who support this president. Right. Well, on that note, we are going to have to leave it there. Uh, but Reverend Janet and Father Michael, we appreciate both of you and thank you for taking time from your busy schedules to join us. Thank you so very much.
All righty. Um, we are out of time uh, for today. Today's show produced by me. That's Margaret Prescott. I'd like to thank our Sojourner uh, Truth team, our engineer, Mr. T. Teddy Robinson, our assistant producer, Romero Funes. And if you'd like a copy of today's show, please contact the Pacifica Radio Archives at 1-800-735-0230 or go online to PacificaRadioArchives.org. Uh, and remember, our show and Pacifica, we're not uh, denominational or religious, but the, these kinds of discussions, as the one we just had, very, very important given the context of today's world. Thank you for listening. This is your host, Margaret Prescott. Kabu Community Radio and the Jazz Society of Oregon are proud to present the 39th annual Cathedral Park Jazz Festival, July 19, 20, and 21 at Cathedral Park in North Portland. Kabu will begin the live broadcast Friday at 5 p.m., and Saturday's live feed will get underway at 2 p.m. That's the 39th annual Cathedral Park Jazz Festival, broadcasting Friday and Saturday, July 19th and 20th, here on your community radio station, KBOO Portland. KBOO Community Radio holds open meetings concerning the operations and programming of KBOO in accordance with requirements of the Communications Act of 1934 and certification requirements of the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Information about KBOO Community Radio's open meeting policy is available by calling the station at 503-231-8032. Meetings will be held at 20 Southeast 8th Avenue in Portland, unless otherwise noted. The Events Committee meets the third Tuesday of each month at 6.30 p.m. And this is KBOO Portland. It's 9 a.m., at which time we hear the beloved community with John Shuck speaking with Ned Roche of Jewish Voice for Peace and his contribution to a new book, Reclaiming Judaism from Zionism, Stories of Personal Transformation, and also speaks with Mustafa Akhwand, founder and executive director of Shia Rights Watch. At 10, the radio zine and film at 11 at 10.30 welcomes back co-host Hallie Z to ruminate on the third season of Stranger Things and discuss recent movies set in the 1980s. At 11, The Digital Divide ho um, host Rabia Yeman interviews Joe Moskovitz, PhD, the director of the Center for Family and Community Health in the UC Berkeley 